Creepshow originated in 1982, a movie that teamed Stephen King with George Romero. It spawned a sequel film in 1987 and a comic book as well, written by Bernie Wrightson. Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead fame brought this as a series in 2019. Greg and some of his cast appeared at San Diego Comic-Con that year, where I attended, and covered the roundtables. This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Up first is Trisha Helfer talking about her episode and also her role as Dracula in Van Helsing. It was a, a lovely offer. <laughs> um, I had not seen. I, I'm not. Haven't been big into you know, comics, and I know I'm at Comic Con. Um, but in terms of, I wasn't aware of kind of the history of, of you know Creepshow in you know the Creepshow and Creepshow Two in the '80s and Stephen King, George Romero, and also you know the the comics. I think it's '50s and '60s era, right? And um, I, I guess just I'd always kind of been a little bit scared of horror and some I don't mind doing it filming it but watching it it's you know, like I don't like being woken up in the middle of the night scared and you know hiding under my bed and type thing so um, but I know Stan obviously I know Greg Nicotero I've always been uh, amazed by his work and uh, I've worked with Stan Spry one of the producers on the show and I'd done a completely different I'd done a Hallmark movie with him and so he just he called he called me up and he said hey I've got this like you know little horror vignette thing I think you'd be great for it and so I read it and I thought it was fantastic and, and signed on can you tell us about about your story a little bit or it's actually kind of modeled a little bit uh, right before filming Roxanne Benjamin who directed the episode she sent me Creepshow 2 so it sort of modeled a little bit after it's um, the, the the story I think it's toward the it's the one of the, the hitchhiker and so different yeah thanks for the ride lady yeah, and I watched that one I was like oh my god every time he pops up and I was just like <laughs> but it's so it's a different story than that, but it's based on the same kind of thing of, uh, you know, a woman, my character, Lydia Lane, is very high-powered, you know, CEO, um, and she makes a decision to to not give a promotion to, she, she has a promotion to give, and uh, she chooses, you know, one of the people. And I don't necessarily think, it's not necessarily to say it's the wrong choice, but she makes it out of... There's a slight element of a selfish reason for that she chooses Tom to go away instead of Celia and um, Cecilia, and it kind of comes back to haunt her. So uh, it's you know a story of a little bit of guilt, um, her kind of losing her mind a little bit, her conscience of making this decision, and um, of course there's a death involved, and uh, yeah, but it, it's it's about that, and so I'm I'm alone a lot in terms of the episode where I'm stuck in an elevator and dealing with the the demons that come along with really you know not knowing if what's happening is real or if I'm manifesting it by my own guilt on her character's important decision. I'm still not convinced that the decision was the wrong one, but because there was an element of a selfishness, uh, want, you know, not wanting this character, it turns out the, the younger, her protege, is also her lover. 
and so the job would have sent the person away to Europe to work and but you know my lover is was expecting the promotion and you could say she was using me more than I'm I made a de- bad decision to keep her around you know who's to say Tom wasn't the better choice you know um, but no so it's a little bit of karma but it's also a little bit of just you know having this woman that is not used to anyone telling her no but also just having she's losing her mind in many in many ways she's um, silly keeps coming back to life and she so she's she's stuck in an elevator and it's and there's been an earthquake and so she's she's literally trapped in the elevator for hours and hours and hours on end and you start to you know dehydrated claustrophobia you start to just lose your mind completely so she really is it's a balancing act she really doesn't know if she's losing her mind or if Celia is actually coming back and and, you know and and of course the decomposition and and that's where his special effects makeup come in really good the style of this creep show it is a heightened world but there also is a a groundedness to it it's not um, you know I think the the heightened part in many ways to me for for my particular episode I'm not talking about the rest of them because I actually haven't seen the rest of um, the, the the episodes um, or stories is the heightened part is really much more the graphics and the extreme of what happens of Celia coming back to life or or her you know as her de- decomposition starts so it's in terms of performance and everything I just looked at it more of just portraying this character that accidentally kills her lover and is distraught over it. She, she doesn't do it on purpose. It's a complete accident. And is distraught over it, um, but then makes the wrong decision. This is, where not, this is probably where the karma came back to bite her in the ass, is she makes the wrong decision. Of, I guess a lot of people in you know a, an extreme circumstance like that, like a hit and run or something, you know, they, they, they bolt as opposed to doing the right thing and sitting there and waiting for the, you know, calling the police. She decides she's just going to cover it up because who's going to believe her that Celia fell over the couch and impaled herself on, on my uh, woman of the year trophy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, so she makes the wrong decision to try and take care of it herself. And so I think the heightened, the heightened part of it and the kind of the, the comic part of it, the, the, the graphics, you know, the, what I love about the show is that it has kept that where you start in, you know, you, uh, you start in a panel, you end in a panel, and um, so all that element is there. Um, but in terms of actually portraying the character, I didn't play her more heightened. I definitely, you know, there's definitely a camp element to the the creep show one. And yeah. I'd say in mine in particular, there isn't necessarily that. There is some maybe humorous elements, like the audience might find it funny watching it, but the character doesn't find it funny, you know? The character is not having a good time, no. So that, I, you know, when you're portraying that, I think if you, at least for myself as an actor, if I try and heighten that myself... I don't think I'm giving truth to the character, you know what I mean? Um, and the, ex- the circumstances she was in. Um, I, so I didn't play her camp. But there are some elements where she's like, like 
you know, she laughs over the absurdity of it herself, you know, because she's just like, I can't believe this is kind of happening, but it's almost more of like a a shock, a release, a, you know, almost like a nervous laughter type thing as opposed to really finding it funny. <laughs> I gotta ask you about Van Helsing. They're, I know they're thrilled to have you, but that's full-on horror what you're playing there. Yes. What's that been like to kind of, I mean, that's just unleashed. It is, and um, I'm, I'm only, I'm, my character's introduced this season, kind of mid-season and, and end of the season, so I don't I don't have a whole, you know, I'm, I'm introduced for potential next season, right? And um, yeah, it's it's pretty full on. I watched the trailer yesterday because I, I wasn't privy to the other scripts throughout the season. And oh, yes, yeah. But it's such a fun character. I'm playing Dracula, and it's just such a fun character that I'm just having fun with it because it's. I mean, it's so over the top in the way of, again, not camp, but just pure evil that it's been really, really fun to play. Van Helsing has a different take on this Dracula. You know, Van Helsing has its own take on the vampire mythology and world and everything compared to other, you know, the, the, the Hugh Jackman or the Gary Oldman or the, you know, whatever. So it has its own story. And, and I, with that, you know, our Dracula is different. It's, I haven't seen a lot of the other, the movies and things. And I didn't, when I got the role, purposely go out and try and, I wanted to just make it my own and I didn't want to have just freshly watched all these other characters because it's such an iconic role that I didn't want to subconsciously kind of bring that through in my own performance. I mean, I'm female, for one, so that's different. But also, I think we, we wanted to make her a little bit more just, and I did specifically wanted to make her just really enjoying. And I think that sticks with a lot of the Draculas, right? I mean, like, all-powerful. It's hard to ruffle their feathers because they... And, yeah. And so I, I tried to have that element to her, just like such a supreme confidence. But there's a little bit more of a, a little bit more kind of alien creature-ish quality to her than in, in my look as well. I'm completely whited out and, and kind of, you know, it's not about sexy hair and makeup or whatever. It's more just like dark and, and a little bit more creature and alien. And so it's somebody that will kind of look, look at you as opposed to like, <laughs> you know. On the special effects of her creep show episode, Everything that we did um, was, and it's maybe the Halloween that's throwing me because I've not had anything to do with Halloween. Um, most of them were practical. I'm sure there might, I haven't seen the finished edit, so I don't, um, I've done ADR, I've seen some of it, but I haven't seen the, the whole finished. So there may be some that are, that is uh, exaggerated or added on to, but I don't think so. I think mine in particular was pretty pretty much all practical which is he's a master at and again I can't speak for the other ones I'm sure there is some because in the trailer today I saw like a guy stuffed in a suit I don't know a guy that can actually stuff himself in a suitcase <laughs> no with ours it, it it really is it was the, the decomp most of it's the decomposition of, of Celia right and so I personally don't have I mean, aside from maybe a decapitation 
Um, maybe, but that was all. Pra I mean, that was all practical. I had the the mask, not the mask, but the casting and yeah. and and everything. So, but yeah, I think mine is. I would say probably all practical. There's more on Creep Show on Sci-Fi Talk. Stay tuned. Giancarlo Esposito is one of the busiest actors in Hollywood, and he talked about the challenges of his episode. This is the weirdest thing, you know. I had heard about it, and then um, my manager, Josh, uh, said, Hey, Greg Nicotero is doing this show. Do you want to read it? And I said, Yeah, I'd love to read it. But And then the phone rang, and it's Greg. No, you know? And uh, he basically had already texted me saying, Hey, I'm doing this new show, and would you come down and play? You know, and we all know what those phone calls are. <laughs> I'll give you some bubble gum and a piece of candy. <laughs> I'd love to come. And, and I realized I had never, I was, I'm a big fan of Stephen King. Um, I worked with Stephen King years ago on a piece called Maximum Overdrive. It was the only film he ever directed. And I had such a good time with him on that. And then when I did Breaking Bad, I was told later that he is a huge fan of mine and he kept blowing me up, my performance, my performance, my performance. So finally, I thought I'd, I'd better take this gig, if nothing else, than to be able to thank him for his honoring of me and hoping that he would remember who I was because I was I had such a small part in Maximum Overdrive significant uh, but small uh, but I enjoyed um, making the decisions surrounding history I love George Romero and I had to go back and start to look at some of his work and then I had to go back and research the connection between Stephen and George and it's so freaking strong and I was in all the way uh, after I got there I was like what did I do because <laughs> it's a very different genre than I ever worked in before Talks about playing badass characters and also characters that are not so badass. I wanted it to be that way because I love to be the hero and the badass. Um, but I have to tell you, it's a little bit the opposite, uh, which is what I loved about it. Because it afforded me the opportunity to be vulnerable and to change, flip the way I see myself in my head. So if I'm playing, you know, a real badass character, uh, I want to do the opposite. I want to switch it up. I don't want to do that forever. I'm an actor. I love what I do. I've been blessed to be able to be playing a badass character and doing three other shows where I play lesser badasses. <laughs> or, you know, but for people don't know me like this. This is like, they never see me laugh or smile or you know, crack up because they think, oh man, I'm that one guy from that one show who lost half his face. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? A role that I really admired that he did was on Revolution. Really fascinating character. And he talks about that. I love that show. Um, I'm going to be with Eric Kripke later. I'm doing his show called The Boys in Toronto as well as all these other shows. I, I just saw him a little bit ago. That was one of my favorite characters I've ever played because he is nuanced and he has all of these different emotions and feelings. That first season he was one way. Second season, you know, he's in trauma. And he has to work through that trauma. It's a show and a character I was really sort to, to let go of and to lose with this particular character you know when in an anthology show you have the setup and then as an actor you have to go and figure out your whole backstory for one episode when you're working on a show that's going to run 10 seasons or not 10 seasons 10 episodes you have a lot of time to do your research and all that this you're there for four or five days so I start, immediately started to work and started to think and, and you start thinking who am I going to be paired with like how is all that going to happen and thank God I was paired with Tobin Bell and Adrian Barbeau and Tobin 
uh, and I set out immediately to have a relationship because we're talking about two old friends living in a small town. They finish other sentences. They know each other very, very well. And so we had to create this kind of knowledge of each other. And we both prayed we liked each other, and we did. You know, I re recognized him as having a little seniority. Um, I recognized his very clear communication, but his crotchety nature a little bit. You know, he's a little older. So when you're old, a little older, you don't quite give a damn. You're like, he's set in your ways. So I immediately took all that in, and we started going over the script, and we started finding places that we felt needed some work. So we started writing. Even knowing we weren't going to change any of the dialogue, but let's change it for us to rehearse. Let's change it to fill in the blanks. And we did, and it paid off. And then we get on set, and it's like, wait a minute. I had not thought of all the variables. There's a monster who's going to scare the crap. Scared the crap out of me. Like, so... I, won't, I can't describe it, but just so gross and frightening that I realized this is the scariest thing I've ever done. All right, think of something else. Creep show. Like, I hadn't thought of how they were going to light it until they handed me a flashlight. I'm like... <laughs> and it was written that Tobin's character had the flashlight. And I'm like, but I, I got a gun. I had a flashlight too. I'm like, yeah, how are you going to do that? Well, I don't know. Right? And the flashlight is not only to see, but it's to light the white ceiling or have it here so that we're both lit. So now I'm not only having to act, but I got to light my own face. I was like, Greg, I'm a black man. I'm a black man. I'm Coco, baby. You know what I mean? You got to see me, man. It was really hysterical. Could you put the light over here? Put the light over here. So I'm, when Tobin's speaking, I flash light on a wall so he can be lit. When I'm speaking, I put the light on the other wall, put the light on my face. It was unbelievably fun because it took me out of focusing only on acting, which is the key. You don't want to look like you're acting. You want to make it real. So we're stumbling around in the freaking dark in this old freaking house in Atlanta. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm an actor. I'm not your DP. I had them cracking up on the set. So with all those actions that I had to take to allow the scene to work, and then you're, you know, you're, you know, it's creep show. There's a slime here and slime. Oh God. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It was so much fun, and I would repeat it in a heartbeat. Truly. It's great that he's going to be working with Eric Kripke again. And he'd love the challenge of doing Creepshow. It is a great feeling because you're not going to repeat. So you put your heart and soul into everything you're doing right in that moment. You're trying to figure out how to have everything work seamlessly. And you're trying to serve up the story and the good writing knowing that there's a surprise at the end that's going to not only mess the audience up, but it's going to mess you up. So... I have to say, it was exhilarating because you let go of all your habits. Like when I go to the set on that other show I do, Breaking Bad, like I just shut up. I don't have to say anything. Like crew members I've worked with for eight, seven, eight, ten years, they just step aside until they see me if I nod or something. Then they come and talk to me. Everyone's afraid of me. You know? You know? And I kind of love it. <laughs> right? So to get out of that, you know, because it sets into your consciousness who you are by the actions you take when you're around other people. And I can flip into that in a heartbeat. 
But in this, I was a, it's a fish out of water, a little more vulnerable. You know, it's it, it's I didn't have anything to really rely on. So I said, you can do two things here. You can walk through this and get your bubble gum and candy and go home. <laughs> or you can immerse yourself and have a blast. And I'm always the guy who immerses himself because you know you never know what what new and fresh might take place. So I got to tell you, this show to do this show, man, I didn't expect it. It was like a breath of fresh air. Like you know, when you say I got to do it, I respect Stephen King who wrote the novella. I respect Greg Nicotero. I never worked with Greg in this way. You know, Greg built my my bust and my face for the prosthetic for. Uh, Two-Face, uh, the last episode of um, episode 410 of Breaking Bad, where I lost my face. So I knew Greg. My daughter, oh, she was sitting there. She's now 23. She was 14 years old. Came to Atlanta with me to do the whole bust and cast, and Greg was very specific, and I walked around his warehouse, and I was like, this guy is an amazing artist. That's how I knew him. And then since then, he went off to do his sh other show, and I went off to do my other show, and he's now a human star. Put it this way. When I met Greg, his hair was here. You see his hair? You see <laughs> His hair was here. And he went off and became an absolute prolific director, prolific writer, prolific, you know, did this other show. And I thought to myself... When I talked to him on the phone, I went, you want to go work with this guy? He's di it's different. You know? And so I immediately said yes. And it was the truth. It was completely different. It was freeing. Just just unlocked. Unlock the cage and let me out. <laughs> it sounds like this is almost kind of like urban legend territory. Is that what it is for these two gentlemen? That's so interesting you say that. I, I, I believe it is. Because when you're talking about the germination of a show that affected so many people in its day... And uh, a great director, writer like Greg and Stephen King, who comes in and goes, wow, Adrienne Barbeau, she, maybe she'll come and do this one. You're, you're tying in urban legend to create new urban legend. And this show is like nothing else. Why? Because it's not a show that's going to beat you over the head politically. It may get into being a microcosm for our world now through the different happenings uh, that happen within the show. But it's fun, right? So you're immediately in a position where you're disarmed. And you're immediately in a position where you're also vulnerable, waiting for what is about to happen. And to me, that's a special place to be. So that when you do get a moral message through the show, it resounds in a deeper way. And I think this show has the opportunity to tell that story. On coming back to Breaking Bad if there is a movie. I'm going to say um, mum's the word. You know, and I'm the guy who really loves to please people and tell them what may happen or what could happen. Um, but I can't say. I can't say. And, and because we want you fans to be really excited. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I think you have a right to be. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to come out soon and you'll know all. Okay. Blessings. There is more of My Look at Creep Show Season 1 on Sci-Fi Talk. Here is the driving force of the series, makeup genius and director, Greg Nicotero. 
How does that work? How does that work for you? We were developing the stories for Creepshow during the end of last season of Walking Dead. So by the time we went into pre-production, we had all the scripts written uh, in January, and then we just went right. We shot February, March, and then I had like three days off, only because I threw my back out, and then went right back to Georgia. So I'm only 27 years old. I, it's just the stress um, that is exhibited on my face. He describes a chance meeting with George Romero as a young man. Listen, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, my uncle, my uncle's an actor, was an actor, and he was in the crazies. And so we were on a family vacation and went into a restaurant and George Romero was sitting there. This was before Dawn of the Dead was even made. And I went over to him and said, hey, uh, you know, my uncle was in the crazies and like he said, oh, sure, Sam, how's he doing? And so that was kind of like we sort of struck up a friendship. I was 15 years old. And then later he was like, oh, I'm doing this movie creep show. Do you want to come visit? I was like, wow, I can go visit a movie set? Like, I've never been on a movie set before. I don't know what that looks like. So I get in my car and I drive out, and I'll never forget, there was a, it was a, an abandoned high school. So there was the gymnasium was here, and then the school was up on, and I didn't know where to go, because I was like walking around like, what? And I walked into the gymnasium, and I remember there was a, it was like all the raw wood, like the set was built, but it was the outside of the set. And I turned a corner and I walked in, and it was the set from the crate, where the creature was under the steps, the, like the, the university set. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was like, wait a minute, I was, if I stepped out, it's like a movie set. And I stepped in and I was transported into a different world. And I was so fascinated with the idea that there were technicians and people that were involved in building these worlds like those guys with a hammer and like so I that was my you know I was supposed to be a doctor you know my dad's like you're gonna take over my practice and I'm like okay sure whatever that was how George and I became friends so when Day of the Dead came about and they were like hey we just got a green light on Day of the Dead and I'm like okay sequel to the greatest movie ever made I'm in you know and I went to my folks I'm like hey you know that doctor thing I think I'm going to like take a semester off of school and I'm going to go work on this movie and I'll go back. I swear I'll go back. I still have like reoccurring nightmares of like, like I got to go finish college. And, um, so, yeah, I, well, you know, I still have those dreams, I swear to God. But so this, you know, this has just been a, an amazing, an amazing experience for me to be able to pay tribute to George's legacy. You know, and then be able to work with Joe Hill and Stephen King and and Joe Lansdale and Josh Mallerman and all the, these writers and David Bruckner and Roxanne Benjamin. And it's like I feel like I'm having this amazing opportunity to work with like the best in the business and some are veterans and some are sort of up and coming you know I mean that's to me that's the coolest like I was geeking out when I hired Bruckner I'm like you directed the ritual I love that movie I watch it with my kids and and the creature and it was so much there was it was so much great stuff about it that I felt I like I don't think I told him I was geeking out a little bit but I was kind of geeking out a little bit you know here he is on some of the reimagining and also hiring John Harrison, who I talked to when he did that wonderful Dune series on sci-fi in 2000. I, we talked about reimagining the theme. Um, 
and at one point we were like oh he we could use the original tracks and remix it based on but uh, then we it got sort of entangled in some some legal stuff but you know the thing with the thing with John is, is that you know John's a great writer and he's a great director so I wanted him to come in and direct and there were days on set when he would be like George would be so proud dude you should like because he was there he was the first AD on the original Creep Show and then when Savini was there and um, I, so I, 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 I John was one of the first calls that I made he said would you be would you come do this with me and he did a great job um, and I was super I was super proud I mean I've known him I, he was the first AD on Day of the Dead so I mean I've known John since like 1983 84 so and you know so that was he was kind of my ace in the hole because I knew that he had my back you know what about the choice of stories where did you kind of go for those well I remember when Mick when Mick Garris did Masters of Horror that his deal was I want to find the greatest writers and the greatest directors and pair it together and I ironically most of those writers are all friends of mine and you know like I would think about Joe Lansdale I'm like I love the drive-in and we've been Joe and I have talked about trying to make a movie version of the drive-in for a long time so between him and Dave Scow and Steve King and Joe Hill like I, I, I love I love short stories I mean I always felt like like you get the little you know when you work as much as I do sitting and reading an entire book it's like I'll get halfway through it and then it sits there for a while and then I'm like what, what's the first half about it but you know you get little bite-sized morsels and that's kind of how Creepshow came about I was I was doing press in Australia for Walking Dead and I was getting ready to get on a plane and fly home and I'm like I need a book to read I need something and I just went a little bite size. so I went on uh, iBooks and there was a book called Knights of the Living Dead and I'm like what is that? And I read the log line and it's like, it's a series of short stories that all would have taken place on the same night that Night Living Dead took place. And I was like, how cool is that, right? So I buy the book and Joe Lansdale has a story in it. There's like a bunch of, a bunch of great writers and I get to this one story written by a guy named Craig Engler who happens to be at Shutter. And I love the story. It was so creepy and so great, and I, and I said, I want to shoot this, just as a short. Like, I, don't, I didn't want to make any money, I just wanted to film it. I just thought it was so cool. They reached out, and they're like, he works at Shudder. You know, he works at the same company that you work at, AMC. Like, how weird is that? And then I have a meeting with him, and he's like, hey, we're securing the rights for Creepshow. And I'm like, wait, my Creepshow? <laughs> like, Creepshow, Creepshow? Like, when I was a little kid, Creepshow? And he went, yeah. And he said, well, what would you think about being the showrunner and being the creative on it? And I went, my creep show? Really? <laughs> so it was like, I mean, it's like a Hollywood story. Like, you know, you just have, it's like walking through the door at that right exact moment. And the funny thing is, I love his story. And I was like, I want to shoot it as, but he was like, no, I, I don't know. It'd be a conflict. And I just feel weird about it. So he won't let me shoot it. But I'm going to break him of that. <laughs> but that's how it, that's how it happened. And, you know, the beauty is the 30 years in the business and the relationships and the friendships that I've made. The one thing is, like, every single person, when I reached out, they all, they all picked up the phone. 
like you know I was talking to Aaron Paul and I was talking to Simon Pegg and I was talking to Josh Brolin and and, and they all were like dude really and even you know like Jeffrey and Norman were like welcome you didn't ask us to be in Creepshow I'm like, <laughs> I, I like I I know, but I felt kind of stupid because I mean, meanwhile we work our asses off. The last thing I want to do after working for seven months is go, hey, come, let's go do something else. And they're like, you're an idiot. Like Jeffrey was like, you're an idiot. I would have done it in a second. And I'm like, but I mean that warmed my heart. And I called John Carlo, and he was like, sure. And you know we had three and a half days per story, so it was like, like the 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 day. W- the day we shot Giancarlo, Tobin, and Adrian, because they're in Grey Matter, we shot 12 pages in a day. And they're like, Are you t- is it always like this? And I'm like, I don't know how else it would be because I got three and a half days to... And you watch the stories, there's no way you'll be like, oh yeah, three and a half days. You'll never believe it. What surprised him most about doing the series? First of all, I had no idea what I was getting myself into because my original plan was, okay, we got six episodes. We're going to do three stories per episode because I loved, like, Night Gallery. And I was like, there was Night Gallery episodes that were, like, three minutes. I'm like, how great would it be? I wanted it to feel like some could be three minutes, some could be 10 minutes, some could be 20 minutes. So I'm like, we need 18 stories. And everyone's like... What? Like that? We need eighteen. So we developed eighteen. We optioned eighteen stories, and then they were like, "You're you have no idea how hard this is gonna be." I'm like, "No, we could do it. It'll be great." And then we got the budget and the realities, and they're like, "It's never gonna. You're insane." I went, "Okay, so we'll do twelve stories. So we'll do two. And that was the same thing. Well, how are we going to connect them? I'm like, well, we have comic book pages. We flip the pages, and that gets us from one story to the other. And they're like, you're crazy. I'm like, I know, but I would wake up in the middle of the night going, how are we going to do this? And somebody, I wish I could remember who said to me, they're like, listen, if you're not waking up in the middle of the night having a panic attack, then you're not reaching high enough. And I went, then I reached really high because I had a panic attack like every day. But... You know, listen, as the episodes came together, and now that I step back and I look, and I realize that when we were on set, my production designer, Rob Draper, my DP, um, everybody that worked on the show, man, they were there because they loved the idea. They would read the scripts and be like, this is great, how are we gonna do it? I'm like, don't worry, we'll figure it out. And on the day, I'm like, huh? We'll figure it out. And then watching the cuts and, you know, one of the funniest things, (laughs) AMC, when they watched the first cut, they're like, this is way better than we thought it was going to be. And I'm like, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's, like, that's the best compliment that you can get because we had no time and no money and we were really ambitious. And every three days, it was a new cast, new locations, new sets. Like on Walking Dead, it's like, oh, we're at the hilltop today. Oh, we're in the prison today. And, you know, the cast, it's the same cast. So I came to be very respectful of that. And also of, of understanding, you know, how intense the showrunner's job is. It's because they have to juggle 500 things. I told Angela Kang when we came back for season 10 of Walking Dead, I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you deal with 18 series regulars. and a whole, Because it's, it's really, you can never, ever explain to anybody just the sheer volume of stuff. And... Julia, who's my producer, who's over there, she saved my life like 50 times. 
because I had people around me that, that just loved it and wanted it to be great. And now the trailer's out there, so I, I, I pray everybody loves it as much as we do. Creepshow has released four seasons, and the new episodes coming for that fourth season will be available on Shudder, so check it out. And don't forget to subscribe to Sci-Fi Talk Plus. It's free, and it's commercial-free episodes as well. And that is free for a lifetime. Click on the link in the show notes. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.